today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We are still trying to make uh, sense out of what's going on with the uh, the NAFTA negotiations. We know that uh, the uh, two sides met again yesterday. Apparently, they're taking a break today. Christia Freeland has flown back to uh, Canada uh, to the Liberal Caucus uh, getaway that they're having right now to brief the Prime Minister uh, personally, she says. And, uh, well, we don't know exactly what's going on as far as they're the closest to a deal. There are still rumors that that uh, there's maybe only one, maybe two items that are holding off a deal at this stage. Uh, is there a real deadline here? Uh, to try to make some sense of this, we want to attack this from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, and first of all, I'm pleased to welcome to the program Matthew Rooney, who is the uh, Director of Economic Growth for the George W. Bush Presidential Center, and uh, try to help us uh, understand exactly what's happening. Uh, Mr. Rooney, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you on the program today. Good morning, Bill. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for your interest. Well, uh, we all have great interest, obviously, in what's going on. Uh, we we know the history of NAFTA. Uh, when uh, these negotiations began, seems like a hundred years ago now. Uh, and President uh, Trump at the time said it just needed to be tweaked, and from that we've gone to another extreme where he's saying that you know I could destroy the Canadian economy if I wanted to. Can we separate the political bombast from from the negotiations and the reality here? I hope we can. I, you know, I do think that um, it's a pretty clear case that that can be made that NAFTA has been beneficial for the United States and for all three parties, and that's a case that we make um, uh, here at the Bush Institute. We've made it publicly repeatedly over the last uh, two or three years. Uh, we have a great uh, interactive tool up on our website that lets you look at how NAFTA has affected the competitiveness and the growth of all three countries, and we see a broadly positive picture. I think that's a fundamental uh, asset that we can all count on. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, a good NAFTA deal, a good, good, strong trading relationship with both Canada and Mexico are in the interest of the United States, and, and I think that interest will prevail. Well, and that's why I think there was a, a, a general con- a concern, but at the same time, I think a realization that, of course, this deal needs to be tweaked. I mean, it's old. Uh, a lot of stuff that wasn't in the deal wasn't even in existence back then. I mean, uh, things like uh, telecommunications and so many different things like this. I mean, it was, no matter how successful it was, really uh, in, in need of, a, a, I guess, a, a, an update in, in some way, shape, or form. I guess so. I mean, I, personally, uh, and I think our analysis was always that you didn't necessarily have to renegotiate NAFTA. There were certainly areas where the three countries could strengthen their uh, their level of cooperation in order to strengthen their competitiveness. And in fact, that was the thinking that underlay the uh, North America working group that we assembled here at the Bush Center just over three years ago, uh, which brought together experts from all three countries uh, to talk through precisely that set of issues. And and so we've long felt that there needed to be, um, you know, an update in the trading relationship among the three countries. I, I think reopening NAFTA, and, uh, which rep- which represented a fairly fine balance uh, at its in its day uh, was was a little was a little risky, but um, certainly you know the three countries have worked reached the point where we compete uh, not so much with one another as uh, as on a team competing in the global economy as a whole, and certainly e-commerce and and some of the new things that have arisen since 1992 had had to be codified perhaps in the relationship among the three countries, and so if if that's the end result of this negotiation, that'll be a positive thing. One of the issues that keeps coming up time and time again, at least in, in the releases that we see anyway, uh, is is the, the Canadian supply management system. In other words, the, the subsidy system really for the dairy industry here and the quotas and tariffs, of course, that, that can ensue uh, if those quotas are actually uh, superseded. 
Is it a really big issue? I mean, the reality here is is both governments, I guess probably every government, in some way, shape, or form, try to subsidize some industries that they need to help. Is is it really crippling the U.S. dairy industry to, to have a supply management system here in Canada? Uh, if, if that's the case, then it's a brand new development because I think in, in general, since NAFTA has been in existence and since the United States and Canada have been trading with each other, which is a hundred year plus history, um, I think we have, both sides have always found uh, market impediments on the other side that they that they objected to and that they wanted to have removed and over the years we've we've agreed between the two countries to remove some of those as you say the United States has our own sensitivities we protect our dairy industry uh, but our dairy industry seems to do quite well in Canada what I think is interesting uh, and potentially a lost opportunity in this whole thing is my own view is the Canadian government probably in its heart of hearts uh, wants to get rid of supply management or start to start to uh, draw it down, and so a negotiation like this could be a way to do that if it were handled properly. Under the current circumstances, I'm not sure that that'll be the result. Uh, there may be some additional market opening, I suppose, in Canada to to mollify the United States and get some other things that Canada needs. Um, but I don't think we're we're looking here at the beginning of the end of supply management. No, that's the political sensitivity here, isn't it? Because uh, it, the, the reality here on, on this side of the border is is Canada did modify their their supply management policy when they signed the European trade deal, uh, and even the the the, sec, the second Trans Pacific Partnership deal that Canada uh, was negotiating with. Uh, the same sort of thing was was uh, at play there too. So it's it's not as if they're digging their heels in and say no, we're not going to budge on this. They already have technically on those two other two deals. So you'd think that they could do the same thing with NAFTA. You would think so. Uh, it's one of the frustrating things about um, the way our current administration has handled this whole issue that, of course, we had that deal in TPP. We also had the updating that we talked about earlier uh, in terms of uh, e-commerce and so on, uh, and, and the administration walked away from that deal at the outset. And so that was, that was I think, an important um, uh, moment in, in trade and also between our two countries in the sense that there was a lot on the table in, in the TPP deal, the big TPP deal that included the United States, there was a lot on the table, including a number of uh, market access assets that Canada had achieved, not just in the U.S., but in the trans-Pacific markets um, that TPP brought. And that provided, I think, in the Canadian government at the time, the opportunity to say, look, we need to ramp down supply management in order to accomplish these other objectives. And that's the way a trade negotiation should really work. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it's always struck us as kind of perplexing that you would walk away from TPP and then turn around and, and demand a, a renegotiation of NAFTA, because after all, that is part of what we achieved in TPP. The, the reality here is that we want to get a deal. I think everybody does. And, and I know that they've negotiated with Mexico, and, and they say they've got a deal there. And uh, it seems to be, as a, they're, at one time, they seem to be saying, well, Canada, you can join in this deal if you want, but there's got to be some, some Canadian components. Are you confident that, 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 that we're going to find some resolution here and some common ground that all three countries can, can buy into? I do, I do think so. For one thing, I think it's there's a very, very powerful interest on both the Canadian side and the Mexican side in some form of certainty in trade relations with the United States. So even a deal that represents, um, you know, a bit of a step back, I mean, da down here you hear people talk about, are we talking here about NAFTA 2.0 or NAFTA 0 0.8? 
and and even if we're talking about NAFTA 0.8, I think uh, given the given the um, importance of the U.S. relationship to both Canada and Mexico, uh, I'm hoping that we'll that we'll get somewhere. I, I hope it's not 0.8, um, but 0.8 is better than zero. And uh, and so if, if that's what it has to be uh, during a period of time when the United States is in this kind of defensive crouch, uh, and we can come back to um, a more expansive relationship in the future, I hope that'll be the case. Matthew Rooney, Director of Economic Growth for the uh, George W. Bush Presidential uh, Institute. Uh, thank you so much, sir, for the time today. It's great talking with you. Thank you, and I hope I hope to see everybody in Vancouver at the end of the month at the NASCO Continental Reunion. It's a great opportunity to make these North America cases to the public. Uh, I'll be there uh, speaking, and I know a lot of North Americanists from across Mexico, Canada, and the United States will be there. We look forward to seeing everybody there. Well, it's another example of the strong bond between the two countries, isn't it? It is, in fact. It's a great organization, and they're having uh, their annual meeting in Vancouver this year. It'll be a great opportunity for folks who care about North America and the North American relationships to stand up and be counted. Okay, we'll look forward to that. Thanks again, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, Matthew Rooney from uh, the Bush Center. Uh, Marvin Ryder has been following this fall, of course, uh, from the DeGroote School of Business here at McGaster University. I want to get him to jump in for a couple of minutes here. Marvin, thanks for uh, coming on today. Appreciate the time. Happy to be here, Bill. Well, I just talked with Matthew Rooney from the the Bush uh, Institute, the Presidential Center down there. Right. What a conciliatory individual. It sounds to me as if there are some level-headed people that are looking at this deal and saying, yeah, we can do this. Yes, not all Republicans are like Donald Trump. uh, That's reassuring, isn't it? It is indeed. So I think we can get a deal here. Now, again, the whole thing is the word negotiation. Both sides are going to have to give something to get something. The United States is going to have to give, I think, on dispute resolution to get us to give on the supply management, the dairy industry. We've given before, in the case of CETA, we doubled the amount of European Union cheese that was being admitted to Canada. And yes, there was lots of hooting and hollering on this side to say, oh my God, you're going to destroy the cheese industry. But we've survived. We've found a way to move forward. We also compromised on dairy and trans-Pacific partnership. This is something that Australia and New Zealand wanted, and we've survived. Uh, In the case of of the United States, less than 5% of the milk that comes into Canada comes from the United States. If we were to allow twice as much, maybe 10% of the milk in Canada to come from there. Yes, I know there are repercussions from this, but if that's what it takes to get the deal, I, I think we can't just dig in our heels at this point. Are we that close, though? Well, I think I think we are. Christian Freeland returned to the bargaining table yesterday. Now, of course, yesterday being September 11th was a somber day in the United States as they reflected on the terrible tragedy of 17 years ago. But nonetheless, she was there bright and early, uh, meeting with Lighthizer and having these kinds of discussions. And I, you know, I don't want to put pressure on it. I don't want to guess a deadline. Uh, the, the hard deadline seems to be October 1. But conceivably, Bill, later this afternoon, by Friday, they could come out all smiles and shaking hands and say, we've done it. It's been tough negotiating on both sides, but we've done it. Uh, then the question would be, could Mr. Lighthizer sell whatever he's done to Mr. Trump? But I think Mr. Trump wants a deal, just if nothing else, to deflect uh, the other challenges flying around him, whether that be Russia, or the Mueller investigation, or other sorts of probes into his things. To get a win at this point, heading into the midterm elections, would be great news for him. Well, if they can sign this deal, as we were talking about with Lawrence Martin just a while ago, about some of the stuff that's going on in Washington with Woodward's book on, and all the other things. Right. Uh, the narrative that Trump wants heading into the to midterm elections is the economy. And, and a NAFTA deal certainly falls right into that. And to say, you know, and, and I think, by the way, I also think we're 
trying to come up with a new name for it because Donald Trump so hates the word NAFTA. He'll call it something else. We don't really care what he calls it. Uh, I'm going to only call it 2.0. But, yes, you're absolutely right. He needs something to go in and say, thank God you elected me president. Look what I got. And, and by the way, you know, he's been setting us up as the evil empire. We got against that evil Canada that's been taking advantage of us. Thank God you made me president. Well, and let's talk about the supply management thing because it keeps coming up again. Yep. I, was, I was really interested to hear Mr. Rooney's comments to suggest we don't really think it's a big deal, uh, that it's not having that much of a negative impact on, on the U.S. dairy industry. That's not the word we get out of the White House, of course. Well, but, if, but if they were to follow your advice and actually double uh, the amount of of American product that's allowed in there, that's something he can crow about. Hey, I've doubled it. Boy, have we ever done a great deal for you guys? Twice as much stuff is going to go across the border now. Right. So wh- why you don't hear about supply management? In the United States, they let each farmer produce as much as he or she wants. They don't have a, a quota system. And as a result, and this always happens when you do that, people overproduce. They produce more than they can sell. That leads to cutthroat competition. Now, the good news for consumers, cutthroat competition, lower prices, but it also leads to farmers simply dumping milk onto the field. So they are desperate to get milk into another area. Now, one part of the story that you haven't heard that much about is sort of an industrial classification of milk. Even though we restricted, say, the milk for human consumption, just bottled milk or in bags, etc., industrial milk, what's called ultra-filtered industrial milk, uh, was coming into Canada outside of the NAFTA agreement, and there were great volumes of it until 2016. When Canada changed some rules on this, and you could see that the export of American milk dropped dramatically. So that's another part of this that I think Christia Freeland and Robert Lighthizer are talking about. Not simply talking about the volume, but the kind of milk and how it can be used. This ultra-filtered milk is used to make things like yogurt and cheese, um, uh, butter, ice cream, uh, things that are not necessarily straight, straight consumable milk. Uh, and that's something else the Americans are interested in. But I, I think we can do this. I really do. Again, Bill, to be frank, I'm not actually sure why we don't have a deal by now. It would seem to me if you and I were horse trading like over the price of a house, you offer a million, I offer a hundred thousand. If we're of goodwill, we can find some middle ground. I might have thought they would have had this one resolved, but it may very well be that we're holding out the dairy to get the concession on Chapter 19, which is the dispute resolution. Well, it's recessed right now. As we mentioned, uh, Ms. Freeland has gone over to Saskatchewan to, uh, to talk to the Prime Minister. Uh, could it be to get, uh, you know, I, I guess, direction on, on closing arguments to say, yeah, we can seal this thing up? Yeah, it could very well be. You know, she, uh, as wonderful as she is, she doesn't have the ultimate authority. She does have to report back to her boss, the Prime Minister, much like Mr. Lighthizer has to report to his boss, Mr. Trump. And remember, Mexico is still here. Whatever we come out with in this, Mexico has to be happy with, especially if it is involving the uh, dispute resolution mechanism. So everyone's got to keep checking with their bosses. But, uh, you know, I really do feel there's all the right momentum here. If people of good character should be able to make this deal happen. By the way, that dispute resolution aspect uh, that we think is still a major stumbling block. Uh, obviously, Mexico signed off on the U.S. idea of just letting U.S. judges do this because it didn't seem to be a factor for them. Does that make it more difficult for Canada to put it back on the table? It, it could very well. Now, why might Mexico have done that? Well, you know, as, as important as dispute resolution is, it's actually been used rather sparingly over the last 23 years. In fact, there's not been one case a year on average. I think the, the total number number of cases brought for dispute resolution have been something like 10 or 11 or 12, something on that order. So it's not like there's a dispute constantly that needs to be resolved, but 
most of the disputes that did come up over the course of NAFTA didn't involve Mexico. They involved Canada and the United States. I think that's why Mexico said, well, we can live with it either way because, look, no one really complains about us. It's things like our Canadian softwood lumber that three times over the history of NAFTA there were appeals and, and hearings over. It's more important to us, I think, than it is to Mexico. What's the Mexican word for whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Manana. Ah, there you go. That'll do it. Okay. Marvin, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Anytime, Bill. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroot School of Business. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.